MSW Media. This episode is sponsored by Green Pan, healthy ceramic nonstick cookware. Green Pan is the go-to brand for high-quality, non-toxic, easy-to-clean pots and pans. Head to greenpan.us and use promo code DAILYBEANS and you'll receive 30% off your entire order, plus free shipping on orders over $99. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. Today, a junk poll from the Wall Street Journal is making the rounds on legacy media, but there's something you need to know about the pollster who conducted it. Ron DeSantis is opting out of an energy rebate program. The man in charge of Trump's Black America for Immigration reform is a racist white guy. A new lawsuit exposes the ties between Saudi Arabia and Twitter and the growing call to disqualify Donald Trump under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Dana will be back tomorrow. I promise she's traveling. I miss her, too. We have a lot of good news to get to today. If you have good news, you can send it to us at dailybeanspod.com. Just click on contact and fill out the form. And we have a lot of news to get to today. Um, I've read a harrowing lawsuit against Twitter and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, plus that Wall Street Journal poll and a couple of other stories. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up, the Wall Street Journal has published a poll, and I put poll in quotes, that everybody in the mainstream media is gawking over. It claims, quote, nearly 60 percent of GOP voters prefer Trump. So let's break that headline down and let's look at the fine print. First, it's 59 percent of primary Republican voters, and there are 600 of them. And they were reached by landline or web text. And they don't say how many of those respondents were by landline and how many were by web text. But the primary GOP voter moniker is important. They left that out of the headline, of course. And we're talking now about less than two thirds of one third of voters. And I'm not even just talking about primary voters. And we're over a year out from the election. But something else caught my eye when I looked at the polling data. The name of the firm that conducted the poll is Fabrizio Lee. And that name, Fabrizio, stuck out like a sore thumb. I know that name. And you know who that guy is? I reported on him heavily on the Mueller She Wrote podcast during the Mueller investigation. He came up in episodes 61, 71, 72, and part seven of my series on the Mueller report, all from March 2019 through July 2019. Tony Fabrizio, he was a pollster for Donald Trump in 2016, but not just any pollster. Not only did he rig the polls for Donald to the tune of sometimes $10,000 cash and a signed boxing glove in a Walmart bag, but he gave actual polling data to Manafort, who gave it to the now indicted and sanctioned Oleg Deripaska. Uh, oh, by the way, the middleman is the now sanctioned and indicted Russian spy, Konstantin Kalimnik. This was a handoff that was videotaped by Nastya Rybka, who was arrested and extradited to Moscow when she was in Thailand. And that video was released by Alexei Navalny, who now sits in a Russian gulag. Incidentally, Yanukovych, who Manafort worked for, 
and by the way, at that time, Manafort worked for Yanukovych. That's when Fabrizio worked for Manafort. Yanukovych was part of Trump's Ukraine peace plan to give large chunks of Ukraine to Vladimir Putin and install the exiled Yanukovych as president of those territories. But that's not all. Fabrizio, like I said, used to work for Manafort in Ukraine and helped groom that Russian-backed president, Viktor Yanukovych, who was eventually defeated by Tymoshenko, and he fled to Moscow. Now, the reporters who whitewashed dossiers on Tymoshenko were indicted by Robert Mueller, as was Manafort. Mueller questioned Fabrizio as part of that investigation, though he was never indicted himself. Fabrizio sent that polling data to Manafort on a daily basis using WhatsApp, and Rick Gates's job was to go in behind them and wipe the data from the app. It was Manafort that hired Fabrizio to do the polling for the Trump campaign. So that's the guy who conducted this Wall Street Journal poll. So ignore that shit, please. And from Sarah Dorn at Forbes, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis rejected more than $350 million in funding for energy efficiency initiatives as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, including money reserved for low-income households, a rebuke to President Biden's economic agenda on which some Democrats have seized as the state battles a hurricane and many Floridians could be burdened with crippling expenses to rebuild or weatherize their homes, especially since uh, the insurance industry is leaving Florida. Now, DeSantis vetoed $5 million in federal money, including in the state budget passed in May that was intended to fund administrative expenses associated with the $174 million rebate program for energy efficiency improvements and the $173 million rebate program for energy efficient home appliance purchases. That's from Bloomberg and Politico. The veto reportedly led the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services to withdraw its application for the rebate program funding, plus a $7 million training program for electrification contractors. Half of the rebate money was reserved for households with incomes at or below 80% of the median income in their areas. DeSantis's move comes as Biden has made his economic policies, including the Inflation Reduction Act, a key component of his presidential campaign platform. And if more states follow suit with DeSantis and refuse the money, it could dull the advantageous impact of the legislation in Florida. That's the whole idea, to fuck over residents of red states by denying them federal funding so that they think Biden is doing a bad job. But it also exposes DeSantis to attacks from Democrats. Rep. Darren Soto, a Democrat from Florida, told Politico that DeSantis is senselessly making the state more vulnerable, while Florida Democratic Party chair Nikki Freed told the publication it would work with local officials to apply for other climate change related grants. When it comes to environmental preservation and protecting Florida's 1.5 million acre Everglades region, DeSantis has built a strong reputation among conservationists. He has pledged to spend $3.5 billion on Everglades restoration and preservation projects in his second term and has expedited dozens of restoration projects, moves among others that earned him the financial backing of prominent Florida conservationists and the Everglades Trust during his most recent gubernatorial campaign. So he's doing all that, but he's rejecting this money from Joe Biden and refused to meet with him when he visited this past week. And from my award at Politico, a relatively unremarkable, seemingly progressive-leaning immigration policy group launched last week in D.C. called Black America for Immigration Reform. Except the man who launched it is a white guy and has a history of inflammatory posts about matters of race, and his vision of reforming immigration is by restricting it. 
His name is Bill Chip, and he served as the senior counselor at the Department of Homeland Security during the Trump administration. He's the only agent listed for Black America for Immigration Reform. In fact, the registration address he put on the group's form appears to be his D.C. home. A tax attorney for decades, Chip is a contributor to the Center for Immigration Studies. That's one of the leading think tanks that advocates for restricting immigration, where he has routinely written about how more immigration could harm black Americans. The nonprofit he has helped launch is an attempt to further mainstream that idea. One critics of the argument say is merely an underhanded, if not misleading attempt to try and derail comprehensive reform efforts. But Chip has black friends. In an interview, Chip said that he was merely organizing the group for two black colleagues for the Center of Immigration Studies Board of Directors, T. Willard Fair and Frank Morris. Chip won't be on the board for Black America for Immigration Reform, he said, but alongside Fair and Morris, three other people will be part of that group. So that's happening. And from Fritz Farrow at ABC, Democratic Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia on Sunday said that he believes a strong legal argument can be made to use the 14th Amendment to remove former President Donald Trump from the ballot in 2024, citing Trump's actions related to January 6th. Shortly after January 6th, Trump was impeached by the House of Reps, we know, for inciting an insurrection amid his push to overturn his election loss, with 10 Republicans and all Democrats voting to impeach him, the most bipartisan impeachment ever. He denied any wrongdoing, and while seven members of his own party joined Democrats to support his conviction in the Senate, he was ultimately acquitted. Quote, in my view, the attack on the Capitol that day was designed for a particular purpose at a particular moment, and that was to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power as it is laid out in the Constitution. That's what Kane said in a Sunday interview with ABC on This Week with anchor George Stephanopoulos. Quote, so I think there's a powerful argument to be made. The language is specific. That's what Kane argued referring to the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that states that someone isn't eligible for future office if, while they were previously in office, they took an oath to support the Constitution but engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or gave aid or comfort to the enemies of thereof, unless they are granted amnesty by two-thirds vote of Congress. Now, some legal scholars and advocacy groups agree that would include Trump, though similar efforts against other Republicans have failed. Kane, as we know, former vice presidential nominee, said on This Week, that he has and his congressional colleagues had debated using the 14th Amendment to remove Trump from office rather than pursuing a second impeachment in the wake of January 6th. He said he thought at the time that it might have been a more productive way to go. But still, Kane suggested Democrats should not put all their hopes in this legal maneuver. Quote, my sense is it's probably going to get resolved in the courts. But, you know, I think what we have to focus on on our side is we just have to win in 2024. I agree with Tim Kane here. Aside from what Jack Smith is doing, aside from what Merrick Garland does, and aside from the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment push, we have to vote. Now, he said that that starts with winning legislative races in, in his home state in 2023, because it will send a message. We know about Virginia's elections. Last week, President Joe Biden directed the DNC to invest $1.2 million in those races in Virginia. The money will go towards supporting campaign staffing and a get-out-the-vote program cost across the state. So we got all eyes on Virginia now. And finally, from the Associated Press, a humanitarian aid worker who used an anonymous Twitter account to mock Saudi Arabia about its economy has filed a federal racketeering lawsuit against the social media platform, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and a number of individuals alleging an attempt to silence critics 
overseas, overseas from Saudi Arabia. His name is Abdul Rahman al-Sadan, and he was working for the Red Crescent in Riyadh in 2018 when plainclothes security forces entered the office of the Red Crescent offices in Riyadh. He was taken away without any explanation. How the Saudi government linked al-Sadan to the Twitter account remains a mystery. But in April 2021, the anti-terrorism court where he was tried handed down a prison sentence of 20 years for him, followed by a 20-year travel ban. Al-Sadan has appealed the ruling. In 2019, Ahmad Obama, a U.S. citizen and former media partnership manager for Twitter's Middle East region, was charged with acting as an agent of Saudi Arabia without registering with the U.S. government. The complaint also alleged that Saudi citizen Ali Al-Zarbara, who worked as an engineer at Twitter, accessed confidential Twitter data about users, their email addresses, phone numbers, and IP addresses, the latter of which could be used to identify a user's location. A third man named in an FBI complaint is Saudi citizen Ahmad al-Mutari, and he is said to have worked with an unnamed member of the Saudi royal family as an intermediary between these two Twitter guys and MBS. Aboama was convicted last summer of failing to register as a foreign agent. And on Tuesday, Al-Sadan and his sister, Arij Al-Sadan, a dual Saudi U.S. citizen living in California, sued Twitter and Saudi Arabia, alleging that they are members of a racketeering enterprise that seeks to extend the authoritarian control of Saudi Arabia beyond its borders and silence its critics. The suit, which seeks a trial by jury, also names as defendants Abu Almo, Al-Zabara, and Al-Mutari. The lawsuit alleges that members of the Saudi criminal enterprise unlawfully surveilled, killed, tortured, disappeared, kidnapped, extorted, and threatened perceived dissidents to silence their speech and to export its terror, repression, and control in the United States. I've read this lawsuit, and I wrote up a piece about it on Twitter in a thread, so check that out. The complaint alleges that the defendant's Saudi Arabian cultural mission based in Fairfax, Virginia, is a tool the Saudi government uses to surveil, stalk, and harass dissidents and U.S.-based Saudi students who criticize the kingdom. Al-Zabara was a recipient of a SACM scholarship before he worked at Twitter. Quote, it shouldn't require a federal lawsuit for a U.S. citizen to protect herself from Saudi Arabia's thugs, but Arij has been left with no other options. We hope the U.S. courts can provide them both with some measure of justice and protection that is sadly unavailable elsewhere. That's Andrea Prasau, executive director of the Freedom Initiative, in a statement. Prasau filed the lawsuit in the U.S. District Court for Northern District of California. The Freedom Initiative is a Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit dedicated to advocating for prisoners wrongfully detained in the Middle East and North Africa. The public relations office of Twitter was disbanded by Elon Musk after he acquired the company last year. A request for comment from the company was answered with an automated email. Now, this lawsuit, um, it, it basically says that Twitter knew about these two guys from Saudi Arabia. Uh, Saudi Arabia was trying to get the names of about 6,000 dissidents during Arab Spring, wanted all their personal information. And they were filing these things called ERDs, which were like, it's an emergency. Someone could die if we don't have this information. And Twitter started handing over their personal information, their personally identifiable information to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. But it was a cumbersome method. To, to do this, right, to to file these individual, it's an emergency, we need, if somebody could die, we need this person's personally identifiable information. It was cumbersome to do that. 
So that's when Saudi Arabia started investing heavily in Twitter, starting with $300 million, which in 2022 turned into $1.5 billion and is now $1.89 billion. And uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is the largest shareholder in Twitter, second only to Elon Musk. And this continues. Now, once they started investing, uh, Mohammed bin Salman met with Jack Dorsey of Twitter in 2015, I believe, if, if, if memory serves. I just read this lawsuit. It's, it's, it's pretty long. It's like 71 pages, and then there's 800 pages of exhibits. But they met after the heavy investment and wanted to put together, you know, how, how can we work together to, to put, to assemble a digital army of people, of Saudi Arabians, to watch, to scrape Twitter for their own dissidents? And when you add in the Jared Kushner $2 billion uh, investment from MBS, and that's that uh, Jared and MBS and Elon were at the World Cup together, I mean, it just seems like they're all working together to help the uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia get the names of these traitors to the crown, quote unquote, just like Kushner brought to Riyadh way back in the day when he was working in the White House. It's just all very harrowing and uh, terrifying because, I mean, like, it seems like that's the whole point of Saudi Arabia investing in Twitter is so it can get access to its user information. And Twitter seems to have been handing it over or turning a blind eye to to embedded spies that were handing it over. Um, that spy, by the way, he fled um, as soon as uh, the FBI came knocking on Twitter's door and asking them about this, about these this leaked information about anonymous dissidents during the Arab Spring. So it's kind of all ties together. Um, I think maybe more will come out of this. I doubt Jim Jordan's, uh, you know, is going to, he had Matt Taibbi in for the Twitter files, but I don't think he's going to bring anybody in to talk about this. Uh, but the exhibits are all there in the lawsuit. And, um, uh, you know, again, these are allegations made in this lawsuit, but I'll continue to keep an eye on it for you. And again, check out my thread on Twitter at Mueller, she wrote, uh, if I get suspended uh, for sharing all this information, because I also shared links to the lawsuit and the exhibits, uh, you know, you can find me on post and threads or still on Twitter at Allison Gill and Daily Beans Pod. So anyway, we have a lot of good news to get to. Thankfully, we need it today. You can send your good news to us at dailybeanspod.com. Just click on contact. We'll be right back with it. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Before I was introduced to the marvel that is green pan, I struggled with food sticking to my pots and pans. In fact, I just didn't cook that much because of it. I needed a good set of nonstick pans, and I found the best. Now I never have to worry about food sticking to my cookware. Green Pan makes healthy ceramic nonstick kitchenware. At this point, they've received over 150 patents, but that's not the best part. In 2007, they realized that most nonstick pans use a coating of plastic that can turn toxic when used. So they created a PFAS-free alternative that will not turn toxic and has a nice even heat and is even easier to clean. Plus, it lets you use less oil, which makes my eating a little bit healthier. I really appreciate a good pan that's colorful, safe, beautiful, and easy to use. I recently made gourmet mushroom risotto. I used to struggle with that, <laughs> getting it exactly right. But with Green Pan, it worked perfectly the first time. It's difficult to find cookware that looks this great and makes me a good cook. 
and is trustworthy. Aside from their multiple cooking collections, they also have other great kitchen tools like Premier Cutlery and Kitchen Appliances. I recommend Green Pen to all my friends and family now and now to my listeners with a 60-day return policy. There is nothing to lose. You need one. Trust me. So toss those plastic pots and pans and upgrade your cookware with Green Pan. Head to greenpan.us and use promo code DAILYBEANS and you'll receive 30% off your entire order plus free shipping on orders over $99. That's right. Whether you buy one pan or a whole set, that is 30% off. So head to greenpan.us and make sure you use our promo code DAILYBEANS to let them know we sent you. Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Moji Alawode L. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast dedicated to keeping you informed while making you laugh as we all navigate this post-Roe v. Wade hellscape. The Supreme Court has declared that all of our uteri are just Airbnbs for the seat of the patriarchy. So every week we break down all the garbage news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with the abortion providers and activists we need to be hearing from right now. Plus, we talk to your favorite comedians. Because face it, if your revolution doesn't have laughter, you're doing it wrong. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your podcasts. Listen, subscribe, join us on Patreon. Because when BS is popping, we pop off. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you want to play What the Mutt or Find the Cat or What the Heckwine, where I guess what kind of horse you have, somehow I'm really good at that and terrible at the dog breed guessing, um, you can send that in to us. Or if you have baby pictures, frog orgies, funny stories, a shout out to yourself or a loved one or a local business in your area, if you just want to pay pod pet tax. Or, you know, if you don't have a pod pet, you can send us an adoptable pet in your area or a whoopee story, a blankie story. I love those. I think our oldest whoopee now is like almost 100 years old. So if you've got anything like that, misheard song lyrics, you can send it all to us at dailybeanspod.com. Just click on contact. First up, thanks to everyone who knew the actual lyrics to the Yes song, Roundabout. Mallards don't come out of the sky. Mountains do. Uh, When the clouds lift, as pointed out by an anonymous listener's husband. Uh, So shout out to our listeners, Patrick, Dana, Sean, and Carrie. The lyrics go, mountains come out of the sky and they stand there. One mile over, we'll be there and we'll see you. Ten true summers, we'll be there and laughing too. Twenty-four before my love, you'll see I'll be there with you. A couple of anonymous listeners sent in pod pets as well. There's Elena, the granddogger, adorable. Oh, I want to pet those velvety ears. Another anonymous person shared a picture of their dad's cat looking like it's got a tiger by the tail. Very cute ginger baby. It looks like a little creamsicle with pink toe beans. I love these. Thank you so much, everybody, for sending in the Yes Song roundabout to uh, cap off our misheard song lyric from yesterday. Next up from Alice S, pronouns she and her. I know the hummingbird names. I realized as soon as you started the sign off, B-O-Q is blue over Q. T-E-W-I, Tui is take everyone with you. That's one hummingbird each. (laughs) Also, if you like queer country music, Melody Walker, Phoebe Hunt, and Bonnie Sims have put out a new song they call The Missing Stair under the band name The Silo Sisters. The title refers to the missing stair theory about that person in the family who's a problem but is tiptoed around rather than confronted. 
So you can go to phoebehuntmusic.com slash the missing stare to hear it. Proceeds from the song are going to Rain, Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. I find the song sad, but in a healing sort of way. Melody Walker also had a song with Mercy Bell called Jesus Was a Drag Queen. It was released right around the time of the Nashville school shooting, and its proceeds also went to charity, though I can't remember for sure which one. Both songs are worth a listen and should be available on Spotify. You can find them on TikTok as well. Not pet pick this time, but I include the dragon eye my friend's daughter drew. She got a prize at school for it, and rightly so. The color and detail are lovely. Keep up the excellent work, especially the swearing. Ooh, yeah, that's like that's like the eye of Sauron there. That's beautiful. Grand prize. Congratulations. Yes, well-deserved. I love the colors in this. Dragon's eye, so great. Thank you for that, Alice. I love that. Next up from Sharona. Ah, excellent name. Pronouns she and her. AGDG and Leguminati. I've been so inspired by your work and all the podcasts. Daily Beans, Jack, Clean Up on Aisle 45. I finally took the plunge myself. After years of working to improve education through changing the way we grade students, my colleague Bosley and I have launched our own podcast called, very imaginatively, The Grading Podcast. We're working to increase inclusion, diversity, equity, and student success by changing the way we measure and report student learning all the way through our public education system. It's been extremely exciting to see our efforts grow and spread. We work with teachers and faculty throughout the United States, implementing alternative ways of grading and incorporating equitable measures throughout. This is amazing, Sharona. So anyone who's interested in helping improve education and increasing the opportunities for students to succeed, especially students from undersourced communities and with marginalized identities, should check it out. Our website is thegradingpod.com, and we're on all the major podcast players. Thank you for all your efforts to educate us and keep us informed. For Pet Tax, I'm including a picture of our beloved and highly missed cat, BJ. I got BJ while in grad school, and he was with us all the way through the birth of my first child. Included in the picture is also said first child. That child is turning 21 this November, and he's joining the Army ROTC. So another piece of good news. Keep up the good work, and thank you for taking us all along on the ride. Ah, it's been my pleasure, Sharona, and the rest of this ride is going to be awesome because it's all indictments and trials from here on out. Look at this sweet baby and the kitty in the crushed purple velvet blankie that looks very comfy. Adorable. I love the hair on this kid. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Sharona. Next up from Gwen and Clancy. Hi, all. I was intrigued by a message in a previous show, so I jumped online and bought a coaster set from Owl and Kitty Enterprises. They came Saturday, and they are great. And Clancy loves the box. These are beautiful. Yeah, I remember Owl and Kitty Enterprises. These are amazingly gorgeous. And the kitty with the box. <laughs> he looks sleepy. That's a orange tabby, orange and white tabby. All right, next up from Carrie. Or Kari, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Pronoun she and her. This is the Carrie that noted the roundabout lyrics. Uh, so thank you for being a roundabout lyrics knower. I'm going to take your advice and do a little horn toot. Just as COVID hit, I graduated from culinary school at 47 and decided to help my community by making food for people on Skid Row here in L.A. through a nonprofit called LOV, Love Movement. I call it Love Kitchen. LOV stands for Love, Oneness, and Virtue. And we've been doing a weekly hot lunch service for over 100 people for three years now on a budget of $100 a week. Every service is full of gorgeous farmer's market vegetables thanks to the nonprofit Food Forward that is making sure those unsold vegetables and fruits go to nonprofits like mine. 
and every week the offering is different, usually comprised of a protein, a carb, veggies, a salad, bread, and some sweets. We rely on small dollar donations only and have now served many thousands of meals. You can check it out by going to lovkitchen.org, lovkitchen.org. Now, that said, I've decided after three years of doing this work, in addition to several other jobs working as a musician, vocal coach, and choir and theater staff at a local high school, that it's time for me to wind down my participation in this endeavor. It's a really big job that takes all my spare time to source, rescue, menu plan, produce, store, and get out the door every week. And it's just time. That said, the larger Umbrella Charity is looking to keep a hot lunch part of their weekly Skid Row Bazaar going. So if anyone listening in the L.A. area is a chef with altruistic leanings, a supermarket manager with leftover food they can donate, a restaurant owner with a desire to give back, or just someone with an aha idea for us, please reach out through the website. Again, that's love, lovekitchen.org. AG and Dana absolutely fucking love ya. I get so much more information from you than I ever do listening to the same four stories repeat ad nauseum on cable news. I'm so grateful for your voices every single morning. Thank you so much. For my pod pet tax, I present to you George, my cat, who howls all night long, but is so stinking cute, I just can't quit him. Look at this long-haired baby. Looks like part Maine Coon, so no wonder he's a howler. Carrie, that is such a cool thing that you're doing. Again, everybody, that's lovkitchen.org. So... They need your help. And uh, everybody, thank you so much for submitting all these amazing pictures and stories. And thank you for the lyrics to Roundabout, everybody who sent them in. (laughs) I appreciate you. Dana will be back tomorrow. I promise. Uh, And I know I said that yesterday. And she might need to travel again. Something might come up. But so far, as of this recording, as of my voice coming into your ears right now, she's going to be here. So We will see you then. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. 